Hello, and welcome to the Enterprise Endpoint Experts eCube podcast. I'm your host, Bill Burnett, and your co-host is with us here, Chaz Spawn. Hey, Chaz. Hey. Our esteemed guests, Adam Gross and Doug Wilson. Hey, guys. Hello. So today, we're going to jump right into it. It's the top four OSD debugging challenges, and we're going to provide some high-level guidance as well as point you to resources to actually get the low-level guidance to help you get through that um, actual bits and bytes of figuring this stuff out. So the top four challenges are 802.1x, task sequence error handling, Windows update servicing, and in-place upgrade failures, as defined by our esteemed guests. <laughs> That's all we got. <laughs> All right, 802.1x, you want to tell people what that is and some high-level guidance around dealing with it. So 802.1x is a uh, security protocol that you can enable on your network that requires um, your network connections to, um, to meet certain criteria to be able to get on. So you can require user authentication or certificate on the machine or a combination of things to allow a device to get on your network. So when you plug in the network cable the first time, the, the machine will check in to a server and that server will say, oh, you need to provide me these credentials before I'll let you have access to company resources. And so it's a nice way to protect your, um, your all of your uh, network connections from intruders. So if someone comes into your building and wants to plug in their, their personal laptop, um, they, they won't be able to get onto your business network. And so that's it's a great way to um, add that extra layer of defense, defense in depth philosophy here. Yeah, yeah, okay. And <clears throat> Doug, Chaz, do you guys have any experience or thoughts on this? <laughs> Lots of experience with it. And, uh, especially when you're on the SCM team and you're dealing with the network team who's going to manage the 802.1x, um, how to get things through, uh, especially as you start looking at more advanced 802.1x that does the health check validation and things like that. And it's not just simply the certificate, it's do you have the latest uh, antivirus definitions and things like that before you can get on. So it, it can be a troublesome bug, especially if you don't have good communications with your network team. And, and you know, that's a very good point. Um, the, the thing I've said in my session yesterday is um, the best thing you can do to deal with 802.1x is go buy your networking and security guys a case of beer and sit down and make friends with them because that's going to be the way you're going to solve this problem. You can't do it on your own and you're going to have to uh, work with them to uh, figure out all of the, the different touch points that you need to um, address and handle 802.1x. You have, um, when you have, when you're doing pixie booting, you have to have rules for that. When you get into WinPE, you need more rules there. Then when you get into the OS, you need more rules there. And so there are different exceptions and things that need to be in place to allow you to get through the different stage gates required for operating system deployment. And even for in-place upgrades and feature updates, we ran into many challenges around those things as well. So those are really, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like um, working in IT and figuring a lot of this stuff out involves a lot of code, like other team bribery and making friends with everybody. <laughs> I mean, it definitely works. I, I'm not exempt from it. I've done it with multiple teams and dealing with their politics. So You have to go to them and approach them and say, and instead of accusing them, even though you know it's their fault, uh, you, go, <laughs> you go and um, you, you ask them for, you say, Hi, I'm having this trouble. Would you mind helping walk through your process and uh, let's see if we can troubleshoot this together. And then that way it gives them ownership and pride in being able to identify their issues instead of 
coming to them and accusing them of, of causing the problem. It's not, it's, you know, we're all, we're all on the same team. Let's play nice. Um, and for us, we found that that works very well. Um, yeah. So I love that our discussion about debugging your OSD problems comes down to how to work well with other groups in your company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Because it's really true, right? Uh, and, and I can certainly identify with that from back in the day in IT. We didn't have security teams as much, but we had, you know, networking teams or we had teams that did this or that. And you really wanted to be on people's good side. So I just, whatever I could do that was helpful to them, I did. And I generally, if I was mad at them, I didn't try to take them down publicly. I would talk to them offline because really if you if you shame people or humiliate them your chances of getting them on your side go way down yeah and i think i think one of the things that went a long way with our with our networking challenges was um getting us all in the same room and we did we for like three days i made them sit in my office and made them ask them nicely um and we sat in my office and we all worked together to look at what was causing our 802nx issues and it came back came down to a firmware thing on our switch which was we were the way we had things configured was just this it was just the where it was very difficult to figure out where the source of the problem was and so having everybody sit there and say okay i'm watching my system and watching mine and okay now all right we're gonna go all right what do you see across the board and being able to prove out that okay it's making it past my stuff and all right now it's in your stuff and having us all look at the process together and then being able to ask the questions of hey can you explain to me what's going on literally draw a picture and let's let's talk through what's what's happening with our network what's happening with this authentication and um I, i've joked about that networking is not my strong suit i don't like it i really do not enjoy it at all but i've had to learn it because otherwise it makes it very difficult to communicate with the people that do run your network yeah. and so if i if i'm not if i'm not speaking the same language it's very difficult to to you know, even even have the conversation about because he's trying to explain to me what he think is, thinks is going on and it's just going over my head. And so it's like, well, can you slow down and just draw me a picture so I can, you know, yeah. help communicate better. And but it, that's so that's been the really the key. And I think the thing about A2NX, the biggest thing about debugging A2NX is working with your networking guys because yeah. they know what they're doing um, and they they are able to look at the documentation for each of the protocols that are required for the different things and help you sort out all the bits and pieces that need to go together to make it work. Um, and it, and you know, in our environment, we're using one specific um, utility for network access control and other environments use different ones and that helps manage your network access control or your NAC manages your 802NX even to give you more granularity on uh, what you can do with it. And depending on what you've got, even going and just reading the manual for that software that's that was the key for us is we found a thing we found an, a web api that we didn't know existed for this tool that was that that just completely changed the way we were managing things and if we had known years ago we possibly would have okay. gone a lot further so i think <laughs> sorry uh, i think you've gone too far now you're telling people to read manuals adam rtfm <laughs> come on isn't that the joke right everybody likes to post rtfm on there but nobody actually reads them okay buy the networking team beer we can maybe that's a good do one. that 
But reading manuals, sir, you have gone, you've crossed the line. Clearly, you don't want to go very far <laughs> in your IT career. Come on, read the book. Uh, some online resources you can point people to around this. Well, a little bit of self-promotion. My website, uh, squaredozen.com, is really, um, I've got a five-part series on that really, um, it, so I didn't come up with it. I compiled it. It was a lot of, um, there's a lot of bits and pieces that we found over the years and people talking about different aspects of 802NX. And I was able to um, pull all that together and then and then put that in the context of the experience that we ran to in our environment. I've got some scripts and examples and things. Uh, so okay. squaredozen.com, I've got um, a link at the top of the blog for all the 802NX stuff. Okay, fantastic. All right, task sequence error handling. Give us an, oh, a high-level overview of what you want to do around this, and then and we'll talk about resources. Okay, so uh, basically the, the general concept is using a, if you've ever done any sort of basic programming, try, catch, finally. So a try, a try block is where you're going to attempt to do steps, and if, a, uh, if an error occurs in that step, you're going to catch that error, and you're going to address it. You're going to do something with that, whether you're going to exit out or take additional action to remediate the error. And then the finally is we've done all these things and we always want to do this stuff. And so it's a, you know, you all you will always run these steps. And so we've taken that approach and we've added that to um, a task sequence structure to create this um, very robust way of handling all the complex steps that are occurring in your task sequence to produce, um, to be able to handle your errors in a way that you can um, elevate the, those messages to the end user or to your, your local support and make it very, very easy to um, identify issues very quickly and, and then help address and remediate them. Okay. So one of the benefits, that, yeah, one of the benefits I've seen with that, uh, the try catch with that error handling is really being able to, when you catch these errors, I have a step in the task sequence that will just send those logs to a server share that the admins can now read. Because not always, like, I work with a lot of education, and a lot of times they have um, the student helpers just, they come in for an internship, and they're just going through clicking a few buttons and launching re-images on their computers. They don't know how to read the SMSTS log or where these logs even are. So if I automate that in the task sequence, I can just see, oh, hey, this computer failed through this error. Let me go look. Okay, Google, here's how I fix it. So it, it puts a lot more efficiency on that stuff and efficiency is really key here especially during imaging troubleshooting because if you don't know what you're doing in a task sequence it can take you hours of just looking at logs yeah and i think the 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 thing to point out there is the the default is a step will fail and your task sequence will fail right there and you get to take no further action and this allows you to take further action like copying logs off and that's really the the key benefit of of having a more robust task sequence to do better error handling okay Definitely speed your troubleshooting and your error resolution when you know exactly where it was instead of spending an hour in the log to figure out where did it fail. We've even taken it to the to the point where when we copy our logs off, the script that does that, when it creates a folder on the share, puts the computer name, a date stamp, and whether it was successful or failed, and what type of deployment it was, just in the folder name. So I don't even have to go look at the log to know that it was success or fail because we copy but we copy both up. We know and so. I can go and look and say, oh, this was a fail. Let me go look in there and, and, and find the details. So it's very, we found that it's very helpful. Okay, great. And online resources around this? Once again, uh, my blog has got some good stuff around it. I've put together um, several free different um, posts on uh, building 
building a better task sequence, building an even better task sequence, and my latest one is building a smarter task sequence. Um, <laughs> building the best task sequence. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you take all of those and merge them together, and um, you just create a, a very robust task sequence. Okay. Well, I want to add one other resource yeah, on there. Um, Gary Block is another prevalent OSD engineer, and very similar to Adam's blog. If you use both their blogs together, you will build probably the best task sequence available. And Gary's is GaryTown.com, I believe. And, and it's worth noting, in, in leading up to this conference, um, Gary and I were collaborating um, on, he was taking the, the kind of the framework from my stuff and and doing some amazing things with it that he's was able to present at the uh, conference. Okay. And he's going to be sharing that information out uh, on his blog. So yeah, it's, it's an amazing community effort. And uh, I know it's on, I'm pointing to my blog, but really it's, it's, it's community effort that's going into making these things. And in, in most of my posts, I've got links to um, the sources that I used for inspiration. For yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, absolutely, GaryTown.com is, is fantastic. Okay, and then this next topic, I can't imagine there's a very deep, there's not much to solve here. Windows Update Servicing pretty much takes care of itself. Not really a topic to talk about, correct? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's a deep, deep topic that we can't really get fully into, but give us a high-level overview. So there are two. So there's servicing is used in two different contexts. So there's a thing called offline servicing, and then there's servicing where you're upgrading. So offline servicing is where we're taking um, media, the, the Windows media, and we're injecting all the latest updates into it, so that when we go to install it, the client doesn't have to install updates after the fact. Um, but the other, the online servicing um, is where we're talking about moving from one version of Windows to another. So it's the in-place upgrade using feature updates, and that's Windows servicing in a different context. Um, both of them rely on the same backend stuff, which is um, your client needs to be at a certain level to do your upgrade, and um, there are compatibility things that are considerations for your um, uh, for the upgrade. So. Last year, we ran into some challenges around um, needing to have the updates, certain updates in our image in order to do an in-place upgrade successfully. Um, and there were lots of errors that were occurring through that. And so the community really came together. Um, Gary Block, Mike Terrell, uh, David Segura, um, myself, Mike Marable, um, Johan Arwood Mark. We all, we all at the same time were collaborating on the internet, uh, on Twitter. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter. Um, uh, and working with even the Microsoft guys, there's a guy named Sutgart um, who jumped in and really helped provide some clarification on what was needed to pull together our uh, Windows updates in a way that servicing would be more successful. And um, so the community really has produced this product. And um, I would say that uh, David Segura with OSD Builder and it's uh -huh. osdeploy.com, um, he has done a, just a phenomenal job of building his tool to uh, automate that whole process and help you very quickly service your uh, images so that they're available for your in-place upgrades and making sure that they're fully patched and, and successful. And so um, that's just a huge shout out to the community for, for this resource. And so once again, on my blog, I've got, um, I've got a whole list of URLs okay. for all of the places where we've, we've talked about this. That's this great. Topic. And by the way, if you're listening to this, you don't have to write these down as you go. It's on our website. With the, with the, with the podcast, we'll be providing a list Absolutely. of these resources. Doug, Chaz, anything to add on this? I really think Adam's covered 
the main area of it. So I know. I'll he, leave spoke, it he spoke Sorry. in a, a nicely organized set of concise paragraphs. It was like, you this is my prep for my one o'clock session, Adam. you know, I'm trying to get it out. <laughs> okay, well, let's just jump into topic four, in-place upgrade failures. Doug, you want to jump in on this one? Yes. So one of the hardest things about where I've seen with in-place upgrade failures is that OSD doesn't... So we always say at the SMSTS log will cover everything, but with an IPU, it actually doesn't. So if you get past all the pre-checks and the in-place upgrade, during the time Windows is actually doing its upgrade, SMSTS log does not cover it. Um, it's actually... There's a... I, we call it the Panther logs, and it's actually under, I believe, Windows BT. Yeah, like it's Windows BT. Um, I have it somewhere, but it's there's a setup ACT.log file under the Panther logs, and then also a setup air.log. Okay. And those logs, I know we don't always want to look at logs, but those two logs, if we run into any issues during the actual Windows is updating, and if it rolls back, why did it roll up back? Mm -hmm. Those two logs are critical for troubleshooting. Absolutely. Okay. Um, that is the most important air like troubleshooting stuff I can call out uh, besides every other log in SCCM. Yeah. There are additional um, XML files in there. These compat um, randomized name.xml, um, and those generally will show you things about drivers and um, other blockers. But yeah, there's a the OS has pre-checks that, and, it, and, it, and even the in-place upgrade failures kind of tie back into the servicing thing. That has solved a lot of those failures. But if you are still encountering failures, that would be the first thing is go service your whim. Go service your media first. Do that because that's probably your problem. But if it's not, you might have a blocker like a third-party antivirus or something. And being able to go and look at those logs will very quickly show that to you. And then, uh, Doug, what's the um, other utility for being able to help you quickly produce the output? The setup diag.exe. <laughs> that's a built-in Windows tool that you can utilize to actually run a compat scan on your computer as well. So, okay, great. And resources, online resources around these things. Uh, Gary Town is a is a very good one. MikeTerrell.com.net. Uh, mm -hmm. um, also, um, DeploymentResearch.com. That's Johan Arbuthmark. Uh, I've got some stuff on my site as well. Um, so, HP.com actually has an excellent article about this um, because they had, you know, in the early days of Windows 10, they had a significant set of problems that were around this and they go into servicing the room and adding HP drivers into the room oh, really? to solve these problems. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize we're not going to pull drivers like we do for a normal OSD when you're doing an in-place upgrade. So if it's not in that yeah. uh, media, then it's not going to get applied. And I would say that, um, I was going to say something. I've lost the train of thought. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Whatever. There's Something brilliant out that, there. yeah. <laughs> that he'll think of later. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. The Microsoft documentation around Windows setup. There's a ton of information out there. If you search for, search for search for Windows you know, setup.exe and look for the setup command lines and look for um, setup diag. It talks through the error messages and how to di diagnose and debug. My, uh, Mike Niehaus has also put out some really great stuff. Um, he's you know, one of Microsoft's um, head dudes on this stuff. So tons yeah. of resource around this. You've you got to go look for it. Though. You've got to go and, and seek this stuff out and, um, and educate yourself. Because 
the answers are there. You just need to, um, you know, yeah, find you where the body's point about the Microsoft resources because it's easy to forget. Oh yeah, there's actually great stuff. Where do you think we're getting in the our actual blog basic yeah. documentation? Absolutely. I mean, Adam actually helps and corrects a lot of the documentation site right now. Oh, we all do. <laughs> the docs are open source. If you see something you don't like, go ahead and go yeah, ahead and tell fix them what's it. wrong yeah. with it and fix it. In fact, there's a docathon right now uh, for this conference, and um, it's amazing. People are just jumping in and and creating content. Now they've got a prize to win, but it's kind of cool. People are that is really cool. Docs. What's the prize? Uh, trip to MMS Des or a Jazz Edition in in uh, uh, the fall. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, well, awesome. Thanks. We will put all this stuff together, uh, put the links together in the uh, blog to accompany the podcast. Doug, Adam, thank you so much. Chaz, thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your time. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Bye.